Greetings in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Sean, and you're listening to The Intersection, not your normal fluffy Christian show. Well, we live in some interesting, perilous times, but I'm not on here to give you the usual uh, end-time diatrobe about wickedness and evil and how it's a sign of the end times. There's, There's a lot, lot, lot of reasons um, for the times that we live in. And most of those reasons have spiritual connotations. I know everyone's looking for the political answer. Everyone's listening for the social answer, the economic answer. All of these answers are simply band-aids over an overarching problem. It's a three-letter word. It's going to sound real old-fashioned to you. It's called sin. Yes, folks, sin is the reason, the break it down of the natural order and the restraints that God has commanded humans to live by. And by the way, the law, um, when, when you're a Christian, you should live by the Spirit, so the law should naturally be lived out in your life. But for, even for non-Christians, there's a reason why we have the kind of laws that we do. It comes from something called to the Judeo-Christian background. It's where we base our actual... uh our actual American law on is the law, the divine law given by God. And we can argue, especially on the heels of this school shooting and the shooting in Brooklyn last week, and um, all of these younger, younger people too, 18-year-olds, 18-year-olds just murdering people in in uh, mass shootings. And people are going to politicize and they're going to call for gun control or I, I just saw one the other day where somebody listed all of the school shootings which by the way most of them actually weren't mass school shootings they were incidences that happened either on the school property or near the school but listed them all and at the end it says we got to do something well the something doesn't ever seem to be anything it just seems to be this we got to do something and the first thing we can think to do is let's restrict guns that's the real problem And then you look at a place like Chicago that has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. And yet there are more people killed in Chicago, typically in a single year um, or two, than there have been killed in the whole Iraq war. Um, But there's something that stands out particularly evil about mass shootings because it's not gang violence. It's not robbery. It is the shedding of innocent blood. It's, It's killing innocent people, especially children especially heinous, to kill young, innocent children. But the problem here is not a policy problem. It really isn't. It really isn't. It's not a policy problem. And everyone always looks for some governmental fix. There's going to be a governmental fix to either poverty or there's going to be a governmental fix to, you know, government has its purposes and parameters. In fact, the Bible says that the government uh, has been instituted by God. Uh, to carry out order, to bring order, to punish evildoers, to reward those who do just things. But there's a larger problem called sin, and this is something, you know, people are going to, it, it seems uh, nuanced. People don't want to talk about They think there's some kind of political problem to a, a political answer to a spiritual problem. The fact is, is that we live in days in which the human conscience is getting further and further away from the conviction and the laws of God. It's becoming hardened, the conscience is becoming seared, and heinous acts are becoming easier and easier. And by the way, this has gone on through history. This isn't 
This isn't completely new. Um, some of this is new to us in America, especially the ages that these uh, these uh, terrible things are taking place. But it's the fact is it's a sin problem. It's a sin problem that has affected a, an entire generation and generations. Um, the breakdown of the family, the absence, the absence of the father in the home. Um, no, not always. I mean, do some people come from two parent homes. Sure. Do some of them come from homes where parents have done a good job? Sure. But the overarching evil influence in society can be directly correlated to the diminishing, um, the diminishing conviction and faith that people have in the Judeo-Christian values and in Christ himself. We all know that church attendance has been going in reverse. We know that less people are uh, proclaiming to be believers. Um, we know all these things. And when the the restraints and the convictions that are not passed on to a next generation, uh, what happens is, is the... Uh, the moral code begins to erode, the conscience becomes seared, and people can easily do violent and terrible acts without much conscience. So I want to share scripture with you because that's what we do when we are pastors. Second um, Timothy chapter 3, many of you probably heard this. Know that, know this, hard times will come in the last days. Now, like I said, I'm not here to try to prove to you that by what's happening around us makes it any more the last days or any closer to Christ coming. It is the last days, and we are close to Christ coming, but the last days, referred to here by Paul, writing to Timothy, uh, the definition is any time between the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the second coming. We've been in the last times for the last 2,000 years. But particularly the times would begin to become more deviant, uh, more wicked, more evil as we approached the coming of the Lord because of this very thing, the breakdown um, of Christian values and beliefs, uh, the breakdown of the family, all of these things we've been talking about, um, that times would get particularly evil. Times would become particularly wicked. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. We've already proven through Scripture it is the last days. John said, my little children, it's the last days. I mean, John just proclaimed it. And if you proclaim that 2,000 years ago, then we're probably in the last of the last days. But the fact is, is the defi- biblical definition of the times that we live in is the last days. For people will be lovers of self. Hmm. Do we see any of that on the? Uh, as we look around us? Do we see any... Uh, Lovers of self going on. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Demeaning. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Slanderers without self-control. Brutal. Without love for what is good. Traitors. Reckless. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Well, it just sounds like I was watching, uh, you know, an episode of a reality TV show. You ever notice every reality show now is is simply about destroying somebody else, either their reputation or bringing them down or or drama. You know, the old Jerry Springer drama. That almost seems uh, tame compared to some of the stuff out there now. But now everything is about competitive competitiveness where you destroy somebody else, you rip them down, you destroy their reputation. We see it in, in politics. Politics are no longer a, a, politics are no longer a, uh, uh, a discussion between, uh, even a, uh, 
a spirited discussion. I mean, politics, politics have always been dirty laundry. It's always been a dirty business. But you don't see that uh, that that sense of like, let's have a an open discussion against opposing factions who can make their points. No, now it's just about destroying somebody. Have you ever noticed how uh, people like Elon Musk, who are a darling of the left because he made electric cars? Elon Musk was just, I mean, he was a darling of the left, a brilliant genius. In the minute he doesn't agree with uh, some of this really crazy radical leftism he is suddenly and he even said he said let's sit back and watch and he, he posted a bag of popcorn let's watch the haters come out and it wasn't but a day or two all of these shows and revelations about what a terrible guy elon musk is well that's the nature of the the dirty politic now is to destroy your enemies your political enemies completely it's no longer a a, a gentleman's discussion it's no longer a a um uh, a time of uh um, as the civility, that's the word as remember, remember, remember the uh, president Biden was going to win and bring civility back. <laughs> and it's, it's about as lack of civility as ever, but we're, we're no longer in the days when we can have real honest dialogues. It's just about who can destroy the other person faster. Well, these are just scriptural, uh, these are just scriptural predictions which are taking place. And by the way, it, it is the nature of man when he falls away from God. It's the nature of man when we get away from God. It's the nature of man when we, we stop believing in God's word. The nature of man is for all of this corruption. Um, it's amazing that in this list, one of the things is disobedient to parents. You know, the the uh, you're seeing more and more of these this animosity between age groups, young people and their parents, their grandparents. You know the the shooter there in Texas killed his grandma, shot his grandma. I don't know if she died, or not, but shot his grandmother, and then runs down the road and picks a school, and decides to run into this school. Whether that was that was uh, um, premeditated or it just happened, just just what kind of evil have we got? What kind of f- sense of lack of feeling? You watch videos all the time where people are just beating each other up in the streets and harming one another, and and, and want each other dead, and take glee in it. Um, and those are hearts that have gone beyond feeling. As the scripture says, their, their consciences have been he- seared with a hot iron, as with a hot iron. Um, they're ungrateful. You ever met such an, you know, ingratitude is a sign of a hardened heart. Have you ever been in a time when people are ungrateful? I mean, the, the, the blessings that we have, the fact that we're not living in, living, uh, even what we call poverty. Um, compared to other countries is is nothing we, we we don't have people living in basic poverty uh, we would call it poverty but not according to others unloving how unloving slanderers wow i mean we build whole shows we build whole cultures around slander and uh and uh without self control wow brutal Without love for what is good. Now, Christians on the other end, in fact, Jesus gave a prediction um, in Matthew chapter 24 that said, because iniquity would abound, the love of most would grow cold. Do you feel that, pull? When you watch the news, I mean, sometimes you got better shut the news off. When you watch the news, when you see how um, abhorrent people act, when you see how far, how ungrateful how unloving, how brutal people have become. Doesn't it somewhat sometimes try to bring in a hardness to our own hearts? Isn't it tempting just to recoil and say, 
uh, you know, I, I hate those people or I want nothing to do with those people because they're either politically or socially or you, you, when, I, when our attitude as a Christian is supposed to be compassion and love, our hearts are supposed to be broken that people are so lost. But you can see when iniquity abounds how the hardening of the heart, how the love can grow cold. And we're literally in a day when the love of most is growing cold. Without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, the last line is the most amazing. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Paul's talking about people who have a sense of religiosity, a sense of righteousness, a sense that they um, somehow are right with God, and that's how you can you can see movements. I remember when uh, I remember when President Obama came out and talked about the work of that Planned Parenthood was doing was was a mission from God, and his last statement was "God bless Planned Parenthood." I, I mean, it's just astounding. It's like. Wow, uh, really? It'd be like, you know, there'd be like Nazis standing up in, in Germany saying, God bless Auschwitz. I mean, just who would say such a thing? And yet there is a form of godliness that presents itself in, in a fashion of being right with God, but it has nothing to do with repentance or obeying God's word or, or walking in righteousness. It has to do with people's own sense, self-sense of pleasure um, but they will hold to a form of godliness. And this always amazed me in the church world that there's, um, especially when we're in this, uh, this age, what I would call cheap grace. Now, grace isn't cheap, but this, this, this way of Greek, uh, cheap grace that somehow, some way we can live debaucherously. We can live unholy. We can live unrighteously. We can live with hate in our hearts. We can live as slanders. We can live ungrateful. We can, we can indulge in all the pleasures of this present age and somehow grace is the cover. Grace is the excuse. God knows my heart. I can live in total depravity. I can live in alternative lifestyles. I can live in things that the Bible condemns. You know, and, and the, the, the greatest mask for this is Jesus' love. Had a brother the other day. He posted something. It was kind of harsh, but it was true. He posted something about uh, what God hates. And, of course, everyone started chiming in. And, you know, in, in a, <laughs> he just slung it out there. Just slung it out there, and a lot of unbelievers wouldn't have understood what he was saying, and they they started to come back, and uh, you know they started to attack the church, and they started to attack people in the church as haters, and and uh, based on this post, you know I understood exactly what he was saying, but the thing that got me the most wasn't the the people who disavowed him. It probably why you know when someone's an unbeliever and they don't know the things of God, they don't understand the word, they don't understand the the, the mind of God. Um, they don't really understand why what they're doing is wrong or why it's sinful. So bringing it to their attention isn't simply going to automatically bring repentance. Now, it does need to be brought to their attention, and there does need to be repentance, and Lord, we should never waver from the truth. Not sure, though, that this, this would have been understood. You know, the Scripture says that that the uh, the carnal mind is an enmity with God, the the the, the the human mind, the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. So I understood why people who were unbelievers didn't understand. But that wasn't the biggest thing. I was astounded by the amount of believers who came and disavowed him. Pretty much, you know, this isn't the way Jesus is. And this isn't about, and this is my favorite. Jesus is love and he would love people. What does that mean? 
would he love them while they were ungrateful? I mean, would he would he uh, affirm them? Of course, he loves them through all these things. But would he love them in a sense that he affirms them? Would he affirm the foolish? Would he would he, would he affirm slanderers and uh, those who are lovers of pleasure, the boastful, the proud, the disobedient, the ungrateful? First Corinthians chapter six gives us a whole list of things that can keep you out of the kingdom, and yet this person was more was more eager to disavow the person speaking as some kind of hypocrite, to disavow his own brother, and then try to have a discussion with these people about how he wasn't like Jesus when he was actually quoting the words of Jesus. And this is the problem with the church, is that we, we're trying to strike this balance between compassion and love, but avoiding compromise. How do you reach people who are lost heavily in sin? Talk about the love of Jesus and yet avoid compromise. Well, many people have embraced the compromise, or they, they have this weird, this weird sort of philosophy that if you just don't deal with things and you just, you just love people somehow, some way by osmosis, Jesus is going to get on them. Well, they'll, ex- they'll accept the Jesus. You know, the funny thing is that Jesus said that men would reject you, revile you, and exclude you for my sake and my word's sake. He didn't say it's because you were being too judgmental or critical or a bigot. And don't get me wrong. There's there's some Christians out there who just, I mean, okay, but please, if if someone's offended at the word, okay, but but don't be offensive on purpose. Don't don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. And there are some Christians, but the fact is, is most people are not turned off to Jesus just by his followers. That's and then you know the the the, the people of God love to take that upon themselves as self-loathing. Like if all of the people were more like Jesus, more people would come to Christ. That's well, probably true. But the fact is is it's not really the reason why people aren't coming to Christ. The real reason is is because God's word is contrary to uh, the way many people want to live. And that's the real fact of it. But anyway, after the uh, the unbelievers got done ripping this person to shred and calling him a bigot and a hater and all these things, Christians got on there and decided to disavow him and, and, and tell these unbelievers that they disavowed him because we have this sense that we need to somehow defend God and defend his word. No, we need to just proclaim it in love. We don't need to defend it, alter it, change it. We don't need to... Uh, we don't need to make a more palatable message, or as the much of the seeker world has done, hide the tough things that God says and just bring out the yummy goodies. You know, bring out the blessings and the you know all of the the great things that God does without calling into account any of the responsibility. Let's face it, God's word's going to be countercultural. It is countercultural. It's this idea that somehow we're going to make it more palatable because we have a smiley face and we we avoid talking to people. And it has, it's actually led to just complete affirmation that people now will no longer even, um, maybe they're just deceived, I don't know, but they will no longer even even stand for the, the uh, standards that the Bible has. They would rather just go ahead and affirm people in their sin, hoping that, with, with statements like, well, we're all sinners. Well, it's true that we all sin, but we're not all sinners anymore. If we're living in a lifestyle of sin, we're probably not saved. We're probably not walking with God, or all sin is the same. Oh, that's that's another one of my favorites. Did you know all sin is not the same? All sin is the same in that it breaks the law. All sin is the same in that it needs redemption through Christ. But consequentially, all sin is not the same. And to tell people that is a deception. All sin is not consequentially the same. If you have murder in your heart, 
you need to repent. You need to get right with God. But if you go out and you murder people, it's consequentially, it's much different than if you if you have a lustful thought in your heart. The Bible says that that's adultery, and you need to repent, and you, you need to get right with God. But if you go and commit adultery, it's going to be consequentially, it's going to be a whole whole other game there. So this isn't new. The Bible records that the earth was filled pretty much since its inception, pretty much since people got away from God um, with sin and violence. And one of the unfortunate, uh, one of the unfortunate results of getting away from God, uh, we know there's a plethora of sins, and we we named a bunch of them. But one of them is is an increase in violence is a violent attitude and a violent heart. In Genesis 6.13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In fact, I said that God was grieved that he had made man on the earth because he had filled the earth with violence. Proverbs 4.17 says, They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Now, is violence always wrong? No, there are situations in which violence is justified. Maybe a just war, maybe a situation where one is defending the defending the innocent or defending someone else. But we're talking here about those who love violence, those who 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 eat the fruit of violence, those who cause violence, especially against the innocent. Proverbs ten six: Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Violence in one of the fruits, unfortunately, of people falling away from God or us getting away from God's word, us getting away from Judeo-Christian violence, uh, uh, values is an increase in violence. Psalm 73, 6 says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. I think uh, along with many of you, one of the things that most is most disturbing with me is to see, especially among the youth, how easily... Um, they can precipitate violence and without conscience, without con. You know, there would have been a day and a time where if young people had killed people or committed violence, we would all have been shocked. It would have been big news. It would have been, oh my gosh, this is, um, you know, watch historical stories when, when the whole country was, was uh, shocked by a single act of violence. And now it seems to be. And we could say, well, it's video games, it's social media, they're not developing a conscience. All those things may be partially true. But the underlying reason for this is sin. Sin hardens the heart. Sin uh, chokes out compassion and love. Sin, as Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the hearts of many will grow cold. Sin brings a coldness to our hearts. So I pray as Christians... We be filled with compassion. We be filled with love. We be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. We, my friends, stand as a light in darkness. The very first sermon preached on the day of Pentecost, Peter summed it up with this. Save yourself from this wicked and perverse generation. I think that's as relevant sermon as today as it ever was. Until next time, this is Pastor Sean. May God richly bless you. We're the bad news. We're the young guns. We're the ones that they told you to run from. Yeah, the play is gonna play and the hate is gonna hate.